Welcome to the SBI Podcast, offering CEOs, sales and marketing leaders ideas to make the number. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Alexander, co-founder and CEO of SBI, and welcome to the SBI Podcast, our weekly podcast series. Today, I'm joined by Chris Giglio, and he is the CEO of Adderant. Adderant is a leading provider of business management software for law practices and professional services firms. The company supports over 3,000 customers in 30 different countries to include 70% of the world's largest firms and the majority of the AmLaw 200, which is a ranking of the top law firms. Adderant has a customer retention rate of 98%, and maybe this is the reason why the company has been in business for three decades. Chris became CEO in 2011, and prior to this role, Chris had a distinguished career at Surgical Information Systems, McKesson, Cerner, and Pfizer. He has 20 years of business experience and holds a bachelor's degree from Villanova University. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Greg. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you. Great. All right. Today's subject is a little controversial, and it, the title of it is Developing Trust Between the CEO and the Sales Leader. And let me give you some context on this, because um, we previously had this identical conversation with sales leaders and with HR professionals, and we're trying to get to this, we're trying to get to a situation where the CEO and the sales leader can work better together and be in strategic alignment and as a result of that, make the number more on a more consistent basis. And there seems to be a little bit of friction between the CEO and the sales leader on both sides of the fence. So your perspective today, speaking in general as a CEO, would be very helpful. And as a client of ours, Chris, you know that our firm works with sales and marketing leaders to improve sales and marketing effectiveness. However, personally, as a CEO of SBI, I spend my time with people like you, other CEOs. And my focus is in connecting corporate strategy to functional tr- strategy, particularly marketing and sales, which if done correctly, I believe accelerates growth. And increasingly, some of my CEO clients have expressed to me a growing distrust of their sales leader. And what they want is a true partner to collaborate with. And what they get instead sometimes is a lot of positioning for resources and political back slapping. So as a CEO, what advice would you give sales leaders in particular to earn the trust of their CEO? That's a great question, Greg, and uh, very timely. Um, We changed our sales leader about a year ago, and uh, during that transition, I gave this topic a lot of thought, but from the opposite of what you asked me, really, how do I generate uh, a great alignment and great uh, relationships with our, our sales leader as we contemplated who to add to the role, and and then how do we uh, construct a team around them that, uh, that that supports the sales leader? But I think um, transparency is, is really important in, a, in, in, the, in the formation of trust, understanding why things are the way they are, and, and uh, uh, kind of agreeing on what can be done differently was the basis really for how we went about our, our evaluation and selection of the new sales leader. So, uh, and I spent a quarter as the active sales leader uh, myself, mm-hmm. so I had a much greater appreciation for the challenges in the organization. So um, I think I, I, the advice I would give, really, and it goes to any relationship I have, is uh, complete transparency and, and clear expectation setting and expectation management as things evolve over time. And that's how 
and I'll, I'll give you more color if it's if it's interesting, how our uh, our relationship has evolved, and I think it's actually fairly strong today. Yeah, that, that is, uh, I would like some more color on this, and your recent experience here would be very helpful to the audience members. Um, what I hear, and I don't know if you experience this, but and I'm going to make this somewhat uh, universal so we can have a broader conversation. What I hear is, is that the CEO says, you know, I want complete honesty and transparency. And if I have that, we can deal with anything and I'll move beyond, you know, being judgmental of the person and get to root cause of problems and try to come up with solutions. The sales leader says, that all sounds good, but if I don't make my number, I'm out of a job. And the CEO gives me an unrealistic expectation. You know, I'm asked to turn water into wine. So when I go into those meetings with him or her, you know, my job is to secure the resources I need to be successful. And my CEO, who's never been a sales leader, doesn't understand what I'm dealing with. And this is the authentic underbelly of this situation, which is unfortunate. And I'm trying to bring light to this because it doesn't need to be this way. So what, what's your response to that type of uh, commentary? Yeah, so as a software company, um, I think the, the areas that tend to cause challenge for sales leaders tend to be what the product can do, either the product capabilities today or the roadmap, what, what the investments will be, when those things are available. And then the other is the implementation or support experience that we create for clients. Mm-hmm. And if there's any chink in the armor anywhere along the way, then it becomes the objection that the sales leader can't can't overcome. So as we went through this process onboarding our new sales leader, we spent a lot of time with our product leadership and we looked in the mirror and found that we had opportunities to change uh, our priorities based on the market conditions and the way clients wanted to buy. So we adjusted our product roadmap and 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 really the the allocation of our our, our development resources to support what the the sales organization felt uh, would be compelling in the marketplace. And we did the same really with our service experience. Um, I think it, it, sometimes the, the sales team thinks the services organization is trying to create a fiefdom, and, and it's important to right-size the service offering. And for us, a software dollar is much more important than a services dollar. And uh, But most importantly is to make good on the commitments we're making for clients. So trying to create balance in the sales um, uh, the sales leaders need to make their number with how we as a company make our overall uh, financial targets and getting all that stuff to balance. And I think it begins with, uh, again, looking in the mirror and understanding what your true strengths are and where you really need to make some adjustments and um, getting the whole organization to understand that we won't succeed unless the sales leader is successful and we allocate resources according to that. Mm-hmm. So it's been um, an evolution for us over the last year. We've made some significant shifts in our, our R&D process, and we've really tried to shrink our services footprint while we uh, have done a, um, an importantly focused on creating references at the end of that experience so we can sell the next opportunity. So let's talk about this relationship between sales and product and how the CEO sometimes plays referee there and has to interpret information, make sure it's factual, and make the appro- appropriate resource adjustments, as you have done, and my compliments to you for... Uh, you know, bringing that to the table. Sometimes, and I find myself in these meetings and I see this refereeing happening. Sometimes a sales leader says, well, I'm missing my number because the product isn't any good and nobody wants to buy it. And usually it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Sometimes there's some truth to it. And then the CEO has to, you know, pull out of the sales leader fact from fiction. And then he or she goes to the CTO, particularly in a software company, and says, hey, you know, this is the reality of the situation. You know, your product roadmap and the resources you have committed to this 
aren't reflecting this feedback from sales. The product team says, I'm, that's by choice. I don't think the salespeople are really listening to the customer. I don't think they could understand a customer need if it hit them in the face. Okay. So, <laughs> and there's this battle between the two. So you're sitting in the middle of that. How do you work through that? Yeah, that's a, um, that's a, a, a tough one to balance. And it often occurs when the development team sits in their, in their cave and they, they contemplate what clients need and they work on that. Um, importantly, it's understanding kind of what's happening in the market, what the, what the buying dynamics are of the client and, and really what, um, uh, what's compelling and what value is compelling. And the sales teams uh, tend to have a little more direct experience on, on a volume basis, really, and the development teams tend to have a much more narrow but deeper understanding maybe of a couple of clients. So we spend a lot of time pushing our, our product management organization into sales calls, but into the field. Hmm. We've created a forum for uh, clients and prospects to uh, uh give us feedback on what we think we have right, and most importantly, to share with us what their big challenges are. We've identified new product solutions that we've been able to bring to market, and we've, as I said, modified some of the things that we thought were right. Um, And our big bet was to make a deal really, really large, and as a result, it was hard for clients to buy it. Mm -hmm. And so we've taken some of our great solutions and made them easy to handle as standalones and we're attacking the market differently and the sales leaders find they'll make uh, they'll have better success on a high volume of smaller deals based on the way clients want to buy today mm. and uh, I think that that's unlocking good growth for us mm. but it, it begins I think with making sure and this is the rest of the organization services and support get direct client feedback on what it feels like to to work with us and um, uh, for a small company like ours that's growing, we want to make sure that we are an easy company to do business with. And that's not just the sales organization's challenge. It goes across the rest of the org. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, um, we're going to talk about hiring a new sales leader, what types of competence to, competencies to look for in handling that selection process. So come back after the break. Each day, you receive hundreds of emails, tons of text messages, countless telephone calls, and sit in too many meetings. How do you find ideas to make the number with all this noise? The SBI blog filters all this nonsense for you and presents only first-rate ideas to make the number. Simplify your life. Subscribe to one blog and read the best content. Go to salesbenchmarkindex.com and subscribe today. Welcome back, everybody. This is Greg Alexander, CEO of SBI and and today I'm with Chris Giglio, who is the CEO of Adderant, and we're talking about the CEO and sales leader relationship and how to improve that relationship, you know, to help all of us accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. And right before the break, we were talking about selecting a sales leader, and Chris shared with us that they recently hired a sales leader about a year ago. And when you did that, um, my CEO clients sometimes confide in me and, and express concern and doubt that they can make that decision correctly. And that's usually caused because they've mishired in that role before. And they feel as if they can't afford to make another mistake there. Now, what's difficult about hiring a sales leader is he's a sales leader and he's selling his number one product himself. So in a job interview, everybody looks like, you know, they're 10 feet tall. So when you went through this process, how did you, uh, how did you go from, you know, everybody to your guy? That's a great question. I, um, and I, 
I would say I hired a bad sales leader. I created a, uh, a challenging sales organization with a different design principle the first time mm-hmm. than we had uh, as we executed this uh, a year or so ago. And actually worked with SBI as we went through this transition, so I, I have to uh, give you guys credit for helping us through that. The um, uh, As a, a growing organization uh, that had been internally focused, uh, we developed a lot of product to serve our, our existing clients. We designed a sales organization that was early career, high potential, and generally a lower cost profile. And it worked fairly well as we were selling um, back into our base, um, but it was challenged in how we were acquiring new clients. And as an organization, I think that design principle was great for the smaller growth that we wanted, but our market has significant new business growth opportunity. And as we went through this, and I had a quarter in the field to see how our sales team was performing, how the clients were responding to the profile and the rep that we had had targeted, and they were talented, high potential, uh, really well um, uh, people that were really well positioned to learn and, and digest new information. Uh, we were having a hard time with credibility and convincing clients to say yes to a significant change in their business. And as a result, we've hired a, um, a more seasoned leader from our industry who knows the space. We're able to tap into a network to uh, to fill our sales organization with a different talent profile. These are people that have um, not only great um, process skills and great uh, interest in understanding and, and, and using data to drive their decisions, but they have relationships and awareness of the challenges that the clients in our space are, are feeling today. And that's a little bit of the, the unlocking a product adjustment um, that I, I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, we have a, a more informed sales organization, and yes, it's at a higher cost, but our results show that uh, having talent and, and strong process skills and a group that's driven by data is uh, uh, a, a better profile for our our unique market than maybe the, the profile of the sales organization that uh, I identified and we implemented the first time. Mm-hmm. So, um, and uh, going without saying it, uh, have to have somebody that's uh, an inspirational um, and and leader and, and a, a great recruiter and gives clients a, a kind of courage to say yes and and all those attributes that are classic about great salespeople have to be present and they certainly are in, in our sales leader. But what is different, I think, is the the design principle on the the kind of talent we had in the organization and the focus on where we had those talented people. Uh, what kind of relationships we wanted them to to focus on, not CIOs and CFOs, but in our case, managing partners and the CEOs of law firms. And that required a different talent profile, and that's what we have today. So let's talk about that, the design principle, because I find that fascinating. And I'm going to paraphrase what you said, and if I do so incorrectly, uh, please correct me. But what I heard from you was is that you had a business model change, you had a product change, you were going after a different type of customer that required a different type of salesperson, you know, somebody that had a lot of credibility because you were asking the customer to make a commitment to your to this new product offering. And that drove the need um, for this talent profile. Is that an accurate summary? Absolutely. Yep, okay. Absolutely. All right. Good summary. Now, what came with that was an increase in the cost of sale. And this is where CEOs usually hit the pause button. And the reason why they hit the pause button is they say, I get it. The business case is obvious. I'm willing to invest more in sales if I get the return, but I don't know. So they pull the trigger and they hold their breath and they hope the results come in. That requires courage. So how did you develop that courage? <laughs> Maybe by catching a few of the arrows uh, directly you know, <laughs> uh, in, in sales calls as I was uh, with our previous sales team and our current sales organization. Um, the, the ride along and seeing how people approach a meeting 
um, as a sales leader is a little different than as a CEO and spent a lot more time in the field. And, um, and then I looked at the, the opportunity in the marketplace and while it might have been uncomfortable or, or felt like it was, uh, uh, you know, a courageous move, it isn't courageous if you see all the opportunity in the marketplace that you're not getting. And I, and had to look in the mirror, is the is the product a problem or is the service experience for us the challenge? And it really came back to we had the wrong decision makers that were advocates for us in the firm. Mm-hmm. And to get the right decision makers that could be advocates for us, we needed a different uh, level of approach to uh, to make sure that the managing partner was comfortable with us. And they, we needed somebody that was credible instantly with those people because you don't get a second chance. And so um, as our as I got educated and much clearer picture of the marketplace, it didn't really require a lot of courage. It, it was obvious we weren't going to be successful the old way. And when I came to terms with that, then making the shift wasn't wasn't really that difficult. Mm. And your source of that education, because you referenced educating yourself, was when you were in transition between sales leaders, you were the acting sales leader. And for a quarter or two, you sat in the seat, went on calls, met with customers, and you witnessed it firsthand? That's a, a good bit of it. And also say we had large deals that stalled. So... Mm trying to understand the behavior of these large deals. And I mentioned new business was a, a growth opportunity for us. We were seeing great progress. We were winning kind of vendor of choice, and then we we're losing to no decision. And that kind of indicated we were either at the wrong level of decision-making or, or as we as we peeled these back, uh, we didn't have the person who could say yes. Uh, at least you didn't give them courage to say yes. And, um, again, we needed a different level of access to make that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I found interesting about your answer when I asked the question regarding hiring mistakes, and you corrected me, and you said, I didn't make a hiring mistake. We had the wrong conditions. So we had some product challenges. We had some service challenges. We went and addressed those things. We needed to be calling you know, at a higher level in the account with a different type of person. So even at that moment in time, even if you had the world's greatest sales leader, he or she might not have been successful because of those conditions. Um, so if, if I'm a CEO and I'm wondering... You know, if, if business isn't growing as fast as I want it to be, or God forbid, it's retracting, and I got a board to keep happy, it's various stakeholder groups to get happy, and I'm wondering the question, is it the environment or the person? What advice would you give that CEO to answer that very tough question? Uh, that's, a, that's a great one. So um, we did an organizational 360, uh, 360 mm-hmm. review, and and looked at, uh, and this was for me as well, and I think it's a healthy process to go through. While you think you have confidence in people, if uh, you get a different view of really what strengths of people are, and I think you, that was an insightful process to go uh, for us to go through to see how the product teams thought about the sales organization, the sales teams thought about the product organization, and that uh, was a great source of insight. Um, but... You know, I, I think it comes down to seeing how people work uh, and and what the leading indicators of our, are of their success. Are those things happening? And um, if they aren't, trying to find what root cause might be. And, mm-hmm. and in our case, it came came down to calling on the wrong people with the and to get to the right people, we needed a different talent profile. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you know, again, I think that the 360 review that process that we've gone through. Has, uh, has been a great way to fill out my perspective with maybe a broader view and and um, make a more informed informed decision. And that 360 process, was this 
done via interviews? Was this done via survey? How did you execute that? It was interview. We had an outside firm come in and help us construct, mm-hmm. um, you know, unbiased, unvarnished view of of ourselves. And um, toward, as I said, it's hard to look in the mirror. But if, yeah. if we don't have that courage, then and to see what's looking back at us, then we're gonna, you know, obviously never never get to the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so we used an outside firm, and it was a, a pretty helpful exercise. My compliments again for having the courage to look at yourself. I mean, I've been through organizational 360s in my previous life when I sat on your side of the desk. And it's never pleasant, right? You don't hire somebody to come in and have them tell you how great they are. You have someone, <laughs> someone to come in and point out the things you need to work on. And it's, uh, I always tell people, never never read the output of that on a Friday because you'll have the world's <laughs> worst weekend. Yeah. I spent a few hours in the fetal position, but I soon recovered. <laughs> That's funny. And eventually, eventually you realize that uh, even the bad things can be solved. You just have to kind yeah. of wade into them. And, and, um, and over time, you can, you can knock them down. Yeah. All right, we're going to take another break here. When we come back, I'm going to get Chris's opinion on the same line of questioning, but we're going to focus on marketing. So come back after the break. Why is it that senior executives, CEOs, CFOs, have magazines focused on their success, but sales and marketing leaders don't? General business magazines such as Fortune and Forbes almost never write about sales and marketing issues. At SBI, we know sales and marketing leaders have needs that have gone unmet until now. Introducing the SBI Magazine, the premier magazine dedicated to helping sales and marketing leaders be more successful. Read captivating articles written by professional journalists about how sales and marketing leaders are making the number. Go to salesbenchmarkindex.com and subscribe. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Um... We're discussing developing trust between the CEO and the sales leader, uh, a better working relationship between the CEO and functional leaders, all in the pursuit of growth. And up to this point in our show, we've been focusing on the relationship within CEO and the sales leader. But Chris, as you know, uh, the B2B world, revenue growth now is as much about marketing effectiveness as it is about sales effectiveness because... The buyers have changed the way they buy, and the internet's changing everything, and marketing is more important than it ever has been. So when you think about this, you were very insightful in talking about creating conditions for your leaders to be successful, and you did some very deliberate things to enable your new sales leader to be successful. What about marketing? What's your thoughts there? That's another great question. So we've had an awakening in marketing, and maybe this is my personal awakening. We spent the uh, first few years growing. We, the size of the companies doubled, and we kept marketing flat. Wow. And and uh, now looking back and, and, and think about why, and we were controlling costs, as I mentioned earlier. We were trying to sell back to an existing client base that knew us very well. We had high NPS scores, high retention. And so um, we had continued to invest in new products to serve them. And... As I spent time in the sales organization, it was pretty clear to me that clients didn't really know our strategy, didn't really understand what we offered today uh, relative to where we have been over the last 30 years of our existence. So we've expanded our product portfolio, and, and our mission is very different. And we hadn't really communicated that effectively, and our brand hadn't um, really supported, hadn't been explained to clients in a, in a coherent way. And I looked at the marketing organization, and we had uh, people that had been with us a long time that were really good at doing the same things over and over again. And we had moved away from print advertising, thank God, but we had still really an event-driven marketing strategy. And uh, we didn't have the 
the skills in the organization to um, uh, to change that. And so we've turned the whole marketing organization over. Uh, look for a, a marketing leader that understood B two B marketing and and not kind of the direct um, event driven marketing that we've done a lot of in our past. Spent a lot of time clarifying our brand, our value prop. Um, trying to create content and grill, building a, a network to get our content to to our clientele and to our market, and now we're running into really the account-based marketing activities that are uh, going to unlock uh, in our very small number of client uh, number of target opportunities in, in the legal space. We have a manageable market to address from a marketing perspective, and account-based marketing makes a lot of sense. So we've pivoted really our strategy. We've changed the talent to give us the skill to, uh, uh, with, with more fidelity, uh, have compelling uh, content that um, will allow uh, our, our buyers to have a greater appreciation for what we offer and why we're the, the best solution provider uh, that they should consider uh, for, for the solution. So marketing has, has been an evolution over the last uh, year and a half uh, as we've changed our sales structure, and uh, we're, we're just getting to the point where we're seeing uh, significant throughput from a lead gen and and um, and, and marketing having having material impact on on driving uh, uh, sales for us. You know, I'm sitting here listening to you talk, and um, I'm so impressed. And the reason why I'm impressed is because I mean, most of the CEOs that I work with don't even know what the term account based marketing is, and you're rattling things off. You know, account based marketing went away for print for these reasons. You know, increased lead generation and the tactics that you did to make that happen. I mean, your knowledge of marketing surpasses the knowledge of most CEOs. Um, <laughs> knowledge of marketing. <laughs> I, I feel like a, a marketing dinosaur, but we we fortunately had some some smart leaders in that organization that have educated me and 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 really had a good impact. But uh, so I was going to ask you about that. So how did you educate yourself? Because if I look at your bio, it's not clear to me that you rose up through marketing. Is that correct? That's correct. I right. did not. So how'd you learn it? Well, I think um, we, we uh, over the four years here, we spent the first couple of years internally focused trying to create discipline and process. We did we had good progress there. And, and uh, the last two years really have been about growth. And we looked at um, the, the the way our clients perceived us. Uh, we did some, some market surveys as we contemplated brand adjustments and weren't, weren't uh, impressed with the, the way our, our clients understood our strategy. And so, um, and we saw a stall in, in deals because significant decision makers don't really know us very well. We don't have brand recognition relative to the conglomerates that we compete with. As a we're a small, uh, relatively small, uh, focused software company, and we're not going to outmarket them. We certainly won't outbrand them. But with some uh, targeted energy, I think we could have them recognize us, and we could position ourselves to be compelling. Uh, we have a lot of compelling things about our story that if clients knew, I think we would have an easier time convincing them to, to select us. Mm. And so um, this, this contextual education piece was, was really important, and, um, and it became clear that clients didn't know the truth about us, and we might have been trading at a deficit to our performance, which felt very much like a marketing problem for mm-hmm. you know, a caveman marketing guy. <laughs> and, we, and as a result, we started to interview people that really understood marketing. It was clear that we needed a talent turnover. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. All right, we're going to take one more break. When we come back, we're going to wrap all this up. Um, I'm going to offer you my two cents on if I was listening to this, what I would do immediately following listening to it. And then I'm going to ask Chris to do the same. So please come back after the break. You need to make your numbers, and you want to hear how others are making theirs. You go online to find out what your peers are doing, but can only find sales consultants selling you. 
Sound familiar? Then the SBI podcast is for you. Each week, hear directly from a peer how they are making the numbers. Go to iTunes, search for Sales Benchmark Index Podcast, and subscribe today. Okay, welcome back, everybody. This is Greg Alexander with SBI. I'm joined today by Chris Giulio, who is the CEO of Adderant. And we've been talking about, uh, really, Chris's leadership and his direct, active involvement in growing the company through sales and marketing effectiveness. And it's striking, and I'm summarizing that way and being dramatic for a reason, because he's certainly not passive as it relates to getting involved in sales and marketing. And unfortunately, many CEOs are, so we want to follow Chris's lead. So what do we do with all this information? So here are my kind of closing comments here to wrap this up in a uh, call to action, if you will. So if you are a CEO listening to this and you're wondering if you have the right sales and marketing leader in the organization, um, it's a huge decision. It's very disruptive to turn these people over. And I will tell you that the track record here is really bad. I mean, the benchmark on tenure for a B2B sales leader is about 18 months, just to give you an idea. So that cycle looks like this. You make a change, you hire a new person. New person comes in, spends six months kind of figuring out what's going on. Honeymoon period's over. The board and the CEO said, okay, what are you doing? So then then he spends six months trying to implement his plan. Well, six months isn't long enough, and the six-month honeymoon period was too long. So now we're a year in, and everyone's like, where are the results? So what does he do or she do? He starts looking for the next job. Takes It takes him about six months to find the next gig, and here we go again with the 18-month cycle. So we want to break that cycle. So what I would advise you to do is, and this is selfish, but I believe in it, is I would tell you to go to our website, salesbenchmarkindex.com, click on About Us, click on Our Services, and in that you'll see a service offering titled Sales and Marketing Assessment. And this is our approach to answer the most important question when you're faced with this decision, and that is, is it the environment or is it the person? And we believe we have a compelling value proposition here to talk about how to answer that question. So that would be my two cents. And while you're reading about that, we also offer tips, tools, methodologies, templates that you can do this on your own. And sometimes it does make sense to do this on your own, and you don't always need to hire a consulting company like ours. So there's lots of free tools there available to you. Let me turn my attention to you, Chris. If you were to tell, speak directly to a CEO listening to this who is dealing with this issue, not growing quite as much as I want to grow, I'm not 100% sure if it's the environment or the person, I need some way to answer that question and objectively evaluate both, what would you do? Uh, yeah, as I look backward, um, when this started to move in a positive direction, it's when we um, uh, defined this problem. We, we weren't where we wanted to be, and, and the evaluation was, uh, was helpful. I looked um, looked and, and realized we weren't um, positioned the way I wanted to be work the way I wanted to be positioned. And so I asked for help. I, I started talking to my peers at other companies, people that were successful selling. And um, I found some people and worked with SBI to really understand the alternatives. And um, so I think it is important to ask for help. If you're obviously if the organization is the way it is for probably a reason. And as a CEO, a lot of it was my, my limitations and to, to improve, it's important that you do something different. And we looked outside for some assistance to help us uh, figure that out, look in the mirror and evaluate, and then you have to be ready to adjust things. Hmm. Great advice. 
And if you do all those things, hopefully you won't have to get into the fetal position. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to go back to that, but occasionally it gets me. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, hey, on behalf of everybody at SBI and all of our listeners, Chris, this was fantastic. I really appreciate you letting me ask this question that I know many CEOs are asking, but they're afraid to even bring it up. And your honesty about your personal experience and your recent experience was, was fantastic. So I wish you much continued success. And, and again, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Greg. I really appreciate joining you. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. This has been the SBI Podcast. For more information on SBI services, case studies, the SBI team and how we work, or to subscribe to our other offerings, please visit us at salesbenchmarkindex.com.